You are listening to PLV Radio Network. Join us in celebrating all of life's possibilities. Moment. Okay, can you speak okay. for me? Yep, how's that? You're coming across really, really low. And That's I don't know. Okay, try again. How's that? And again. How's that? No, that's not making any difference. I'll try and speak low on this side, and you'll have to speak a little higher on your side. Speak again. How's that? That's a bit better. Just, you know, kind of project a little bit, <laughs> because it is low on that side. Okay. All right. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Positive Living Vibrations. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is a local BC guy. He is John Hood. We know him as the Leaf Whisperer. What does John do, and why is it so important? Well, his personal journey is that of art, and we will be speaking to that art in a moment. But what he really does is volunteer at the BC Forest Discovery Centre as an educational orchardist for the Heritage Fruit Orchard. It's a program that um, helps people adopt a tree. He arranges for elementary school children to visit the orchard. And since starting that program, uh, they have developed another program where they go into schools and talk about uh, the trees, the bees, the pollination, the pests, uh, so that the children have a more enhanced visit when they come. The Adopt-A-Tree program was set up to run for four years uh, to start. Uh, that way, as, um, as they prune the tree slowly, they can educate the future leaders on how to respect uh, nature hands-on. We take trees for granted. They're beautiful, they're functional. You chop down the wood and you use it. But I don't think people truly understand the vibration of the trees and how absolutely important it is that we actually learn to listen to them, communicate with them, most certainly show respect to them, and teach our children to do the same. So, John, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Now, I don't know about you, but we have got a very beautiful sunny day here. Yeah, it's it's a bit cool here. It's about three above zero, and uh, it's, it's nice. Well, we hit double digits yesterday, and I think we're going to do the same today. So, you know, I send out my condolences to Boston and Toronto and all those other places that are 10 feet knee-deep in snow. And uh, and here we are basking in the in the sun, but that is what nature is. And we have no control over nature, do we? No, we don't. Um, except for when we kind of do things like setting off atomic bombs and then we interfere with nature, uh, which we don't want to see happen. So you're an artist, first and foremost, that is your passion and your truth. And you're a self-taught artist, but you're a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to your art. Um, how about you give us a little background on your art and how it called you? Okay, uh, my art is uh, when I was six, uh, I found I could draw, and uh, uh, for a very, very brief time, I ha- saw someone about drawing and was told that if I didn't do it his way, then I couldn't do it, mm. at which point I told him to shove off, and <laughs> I learned myself. So um, uh, my art is has developed in such that uh, I like a challenge. I used to like doing 
solid color jigsaw puzzles because they were more challenging. Um, and my art is the same. I just uh, I can do the flowers and I can do the landscapes, but it's not a challenge. So around uh, 1990s, I started doing fine line drawings with ink. And then around 2000, that wasn't hard enough, so I went ink and dots. And now I just do dots. So I can do portraits and dots, and I can do puzzles and dots, and I do pieces that I call mindscapes because they have a message in the middle, and then you have to figure out what the message is from the outside material surrounding it. And dotting is uh, quite uh, um, an art in itself, isn't it? And it's, uh, I mean, I've seen you know pictures like this. It's, it takes a great deal of time, and you've got to have a lot of precision. So the last drawing I did with fine lines that I put dots over top took 10 years. Wow. Most of, my drawing, most of my drawings now, they take three years or four years to figure out how to draw them, and then a couple of years to draw them. So one of the drawings I have uh, in the works is called uh, uh, The Three Graces, and it's three, it's after the uh, Renaissance drawing or sculpture of three nude women in the middle surrounded that by that is um, the the helix of uh, DNA swirling around that and then communications around the outside of that because the three things that are affecting our world is women and women's issues and women's rights and uh, money and communications mm-hmm. so how do you so how do you draw it so that's <laughs> yeah. what they're trying to figure out to do and so does it come to you, or is it like a puzzle you're unraveling? Uh, parts of it come to me. Um, I'll sleep on it, and I'll think, oh, that's how I should do that. Or uh, I'll wake up thinking, that's how I need to do that. Or I need to uh, research how to do this or how to do that. Uh, I have a piece called The Feast. It's for uh, marriage. And uh, it says, I love you, in 270 different languages on it. Wow. And then it, and then it has pictures of your major food groups around the world, whether you're meat or meatless. And, and then it has hands, and uh, it's just a complex piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds, I can understand why it takes you so long to actually get there. Um you know, because you you know you really are being very very complex with what you're doing, um, and that's you know. In, as I say, there are different type of artists. There are people that you know can just put things out very very quickly, and you know, um, and it just comes to them in the moment. But you feel more like an architectural artist than the traditional artist. Uh, well, so I have a gardening business, and I'm, I work by myself. And if I'm doing a hedge that is 12 feet high and 400 feet long, and it takes me a couple of days to do it, I don't use any gas power things. It's all put by hand. I've got a lot of time on my hands. So what do I do? I think about art and how I'm going to draw something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lots of time. Yeah, so it's in your head all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously that is something that's extremely important to you. And... Um, so, and obviously gardening is, is your, is your uh, choice of work. So what led you to the orchard and, um, you know, wanting and desiring to kind of teach children? So I'm, I'm of a, a mature age, and I thought, uh, what would I like, when my time comes to leave this surface, what would I like to leave as a gift? 
and I thought I'd like to leave the gift of teaching kids how to grow something so they can feed themselves rather than giving them the food to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, then I thought, okay, well, what, where in the valley here could I do that? And then I thought, oh, the center has all those old trees that I used to look after years ago. And so I walked through the orchard and thought, okay, how would I do this? How would I set this up so that I could teach them? Well, see, if the kids took ownership of the trees, um, then they would feel more connected. Mm-hmm. So ownership, what does that mean? So that means like if you adopt, okay, so adopt the tree, all right? So now then what does that entail? I'll have to bring them out and show them how to give it a haircut and how often to give it a haircut and uh, how severe to prune it or how less to prune it. And and if you talk to arborists now that are coming to look at your tree, they will tell you to take it easy. You know, it's a living thing. It's not something just to be butchered every year. Just take your time, you know, it's taken... You haven't touched it in four or five years, so take your time in bringing it back. So that's what I'm trying to tell the kids. It's yeah. a living thing, and we need to honor its, uh, its uh, attributes to, and, uh, to the community and uh, treat it with respect. And if it has a problem, its leaves will tell you, or its branches will tell you, or the bugs in the trees will tell you. Just honor it and treat it with respect. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing. The big word here is respect. Um, you know, we're, I think every generation has this, but I think we're very much in a generation of nonchalance uh, where everything is so easy and so instant that nobody stops to think about how, you know, what was what was the process into giving what's in your hand? Um, what's the appreciation for that process, for that product, for um, for the value? Not the dollar value, the value of what the object is. Um, and that goes with anything. And I think that if people are taught from the beginning, you know, the seed, the growth, uh, the nurturing, the pruning, um, you know, the protecting, I think it just becomes so much more valuable to them. And I think it's a metaphor for life in many ways. Well, you know, if you, if you grew your hair for a year and you went to see the barber, would the barber take a... a, a a, a lawnmower or a <laughs> chain, chainsaw to it to cut it? Some do. <laughs> you wouldn't want to sit in the chair for that. No. You know, but a tree is stuck in the ground. It can't get up and run. Yeah. You know, just treat it with respect. If it's been a long time since it's been pruned, take a little bit off this year. See how it, it responds. And then next year, take a little bit all more off, you know? It's just, to me, it's common sense. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of people out there who don't look at it. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, and I don't think people actually understand that, you know, trees are living things. They're not just a dead piece of wood with leaves hanging off them. They're, they're living. They're very vibrant. They've got a huge amount of energy, you know, let off a great deal of oxygen. And that at the roots, uh, for miles around, they're vibrationally connected. Um, and so that when you walk into a forest or into an orchard, you can literally feel um, those trees being alive around you. And if you open up, you can really feel the communication from the trees. And you can really have a conversation with the trees. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've done tests to, uh, you can take a potato and you can stick an electrode in either end of the potato and stick it onto a battery and then stick that battery onto a small motor and it will actually run the motor. Wow. So, you know, there's, there's, if there's energy in a potato, what is there energy? How much energy yeah. is in a tree? Yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, like, there was a, there's a place that I used to live and I walked down um, this little avenue of trees uh, on the way to a tree farm. I used to walk my dog down there. And, you know, I just absolutely love walking down with a gentle wind and the rustle of the leaves. It's like, you know, that harmonious chat and you feel like they're, you know, answering you back with the thoughts that are going on in your head. And I remember going down there one day and the trees were really chattering very loud. And I had to say to them, you're being too loud. Can you be quiet? And all of a sudden the trees just stopped. They stopped moving, they stopped chattering, and I just said, thank you. <laughs> it's vibrational interaction. We all are energy, and we all uh, frequent. We get onto a wavelength with something, and that's how we communicate. It's not through the words or the intellect. It's through that vibration. So you truly can have a conversation with a tree. Yep. Yep. Uh, a friend of mine, he uh, he raises birds. And uh, he puts the music on for the birds, uh, for them to listen to, to keep them happy. Uh, another friend of mine has had an orchard down in Victoria, and uh, he would uh, put uh, uh, an old radio out in the shed, and he'd turn the speakers up and let the trees listen to classical music or whatever. And he just said that uh, the trees responded way differently than if he did nothing. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's, you know, we like pleasant sounds, be it music or, you know, the wind or the ocean, whatever it is. You know, we like those things. They're very tranquilizing for us. Um, so why wouldn't other living entities? My neighbors have um, budgies and a cockatiel and they leave the cartoons on because the birds like the cartoons on. And there's one of them that they call Schmeagle. And Schmeagle gets really, really vocal sometimes. And if he doesn't like a particular cartoon, <laughs> and he really can let you know. Um, we forget, I think as people, um, we kind of think that we are the only intelligent species. Uh, just because, you know, we have maybe more articulation in, in, our, in our speech, but that doesn't mean we have better communication. You know, there was, um, in 18... 18- uh, 50, 54, I think it was, uh, Chief Seattle made an address to the United States about the interconnection of his people with nature. And he basically said, you know, we are not the web. We are a part of the web. And everyone needs to remember that. Yeah. We're just a part. Yeah. Right? We're not the web. We're just a part of the web. And actually, I think it's time we kind of got off our high horse to think we're the most important part. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's we've proven that with the way we treat nature, um, that uh, we are the most destructive. Um, yes, you get your tornadoes, your hurricanes, uh, your floods, your fires. Um, you know, Mother Nature gets totally pissed sometimes, and you can't blame her. But when it comes to absolute destruction, there is nobody more destructive than man. Yeah. Which is sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So how have you seen the appreciation with kids kind of truly understanding, you know, a, you know, the planting of a tree and, and the appreciation and the understanding of it? How have you seen a difference in them? Uh, my, some of my kids go to uh, uh, alternate school, and so actually it's not true. Some of my kids go to a, uh, a school, and uh, they... Uh, uh, came out in the fall, and we picked some apples. And uh, 
they were just happy to be outside. They were running through the orchard, and uh, they were uh, all happy, and uh, it was a very nice thing to see. You know, it's, it, I don't know. I don't know how to say that. I don't know. But they were living kind of in their freedom there. So, um, But how have you found that the appreciation for the trees through this program, you know, being taught to them, how, you know, how have you found the different respect towards the trees and, and nature in itself? Well, um, being that this is just the first year of the program, I haven't, uh, I haven't had the kids come back a second time. I was talking to the principal this morning of the school, and she's wanting to know when the kids can come back to the center to see the trees again. So uh, the uh, forest center just finished doing a maple syrup festival, and now their trees are, uh, grounds are quiet, so I've got to arrange for them to come back and have a look. But uh, they'll notice a big difference. Uh, we were talking about the Tarzan worm and uh, um, uh, the tortoise-shelled mosquito and the crawling moth. So those are the pests that are in the orchard. And so I was just telling the kids, you know, an example. If that teacher over there had a set of wings under her armpits, do you think she could fly? You know, putting in a, te- in a text and a term mm. that kids can understand how come the moth is a crawling moth and not a flying moth. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I think that uh, it, once the door is open and the opportunity is there, uh, the proof will be in the pudding uh, as the trees grow and as the kids continue to come back and see the trees change. And I think that's, you know, as I think can very often when you see things grow around you, that's when you relate to the growth within you. Right. That's right. So, you know, this is literally a physical change that they will see um, and, you know, kind of pay more attention to their own changes. Um, and, you know, it's... It's kind of sad when you see some trees that have been chopped down and you know that each ring represents a year um, of its life. And, you, you know, you count the amount of rings and you think for how long that tree stood. And, you know, it was either chopped down because a house was going in there or something. And it's, you know, you feel that they've lived that long, you know, and it's so sad to see them go. Yeah, I guess the sad part is, is, uh, is not using... You know, if you're going to cut the tree down, let's use it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's part of the, the thing I have at the center is if I'm trimming these trees, what am I going to do with the wood? Because I'm just not going to burn it. So uh, I've contacted a local smokehouse, and they're smoking uh, cheese and meat with it. Oh, lovely. And uh, the flavor is phenomenal. And they can't keep the stuff on the shelves. It's just flying out. But, I mean, it's – and I have other people who are turning bowls and candlesticks and – uh, working with the wood. It's just, you know, tear it down, rip it out, throw it away. It just doesn't work anymore. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's a wasteful for a start. Um, everything has a purpose, every single thing. And, you know, when you allow that creativity to really expand, you can just see how far it can go. I mean, that, you know, the wood and the wood house with the cheeses and the smoked meats and everything else, I mean, wow, absolutely gorgeous. And I can imagine even for certain kind of barbecues and things like that, it would be great yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, the whole beauty of it is, is, is you know, when we, we all want to be of purpose, and if a tree has outlived its life and it's time for it to go, it's, I'm, you know, an antique lover. 
and I am surrounded by antiques that are, you know, pretty well 100 to 200 years old. And they may have been got a little battered because they've been around the world a couple of times. Um, but I love the sense of history I get from them, the, the craftsmanship, the history, the wood. And I think wood especially holds on to vibrations, memories, and you can feel it coming from the, the wood. Um, you know, it's, it's absorbed the journey of its own life. So our, our technology has gone so that the kids are more into their iPads, mm-hmm. their iPhones, and that sort of thing. And the program that I offer with the center is to get them out of that and reconnect them with the ground. Reconnect them with the roots, reconnect them with nature. And uh, my, my son has a, uh, an, e, an e-reader. And uh, I said, you know, what about picking up a book that someone else has had? Maybe, maybe the book is 150 years old. Pick it up and imagine how many different people have held on to that yeah. book. And, and you're reading it too. Can't you just imagine that? And he says, I can just as easy read it on my e-reader, Dad. I don't have to look at a book. But you see, there's the disconnect. Yeah, right. I, I agree, and and uh, I get books sent to me all the time from people I interview, and you know they sell, send me PDFs, and and you know I can go through the PDFs, you know, on the on the computer, but I still haven't got used to being able to read it on a tablet. It's just not quite the same, and you know that might be our age, um, and there might be, th- and it might be also that save the tree, you know. Okay, yeah. I understand that, but I think at the same time is. You know, as I said, it's it's such an instant world, but things are not made to last. You know, all the furniture in the past was made to last for generations, things to get passed down. Things are made now to last two or three years, and then it's going to get trashed in your garden by another. And, and that's to keep the economy going. But I think it's not taught people, A, what to do with waste. You know, it's not waste, just reuse it somewhere else. Um, and it's certainly, you know, dis... Um, disrespected whether it be our trees or or anything else out there um and and creates a a zero value for anything oh it's broken i'll just replace it and you know where is the value right yeah and uh you know of course if you are a book reader you know there is something about turning the page isn't there yeah Um, definitely i mean i have a table in front of me here that my dad um who passed away at 46. Um, So this table down here in front of me is, I think, 50 years old. And it was just a a, a rustic little table that he made, cocktail table. And it's been through a lot, and it's kind of quite beaten up, because I said it's traveled to a few countries. But I look at it, not only remember him, but it's solid, and it's taken that beating, and it's got a story to tell, and it's functional. Um, Yeah. And so it's wonderful, you know, to to look at that. And how could I, you know, throw that away for a fancy modern cocktail table that really hasn't got any story to it at all? So, like furniture, I have an art piece called uh, Ooh, I just remember the name of it, Transformation, and it talks about people who live out. Mm-hmm. It's talking about a story to tell. You know, the people who live on the streets—they didn't always live on the streets. Exactly. And they all have a story to tell. So in my piece, there's a, a songbird in the middle of a transformation mask. On the outside is a wolf, inside is a songbird. 
because everyone has a song to sing. Each piece of furniture has a story to tell if you just listen to it. Yeah. And that's why um, I've started a new channel called Their Story Matters. And it, you know, it's featuring people's stories because since the beginning of time, um, those stories is always what's given people inspiration or courage or knowledge and how to live their own lives or be inspired to live their own lives. And so storytelling isn't just around the campfire, you know, with, with somebody telling a story. Art speaks stories in volumes, doesn't it? Yes, and the local First Nations people in our valley, their history is oral. Mm -hmm. So they pass their history down from generation to generation through stories rather than writing it down. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of captures in a lot of ways. You know, when you write it, it's open to interpretation. When you hear yeah. it, you're hearing it from that perspective. Now, of course, yeah. it would be great if you could hear the story said by a few people. So it's kind of delivered in a different way because we're not all from one perspective. But right. there is, you know, that person's truth in telling that story. When you read, it's your interpretation of what the truth is. Same as right. when you look at art. You know, you have one art piece that there's I've got a piece of yours in front here, you know, with the hand and the uh, the cherub baby in the middle and, and a train yeah. and, and, and a tree that's, you know, rooting into carrots. I mean, you know, one could look at this for hours and see different stories in here. And it's the question is, is how did all of this story, because um, each item on here tells the story, but how did each one of these now tell a whole story? And what was your story in bringing this together? Right, right. A lot of people who look at my art who are interested in it, because not everybody is, they say, okay, what are you trying to tell me? And so I've, I've since had to run a little card with some of the art. But I'd rather they had a look at it first than mm. me telling them. Yeah, because again, it's, you know, it's what is it saying to them? And only they know what it's saying to them. Yeah. You know, my daughter is, a, is an artist as well. Um, you know, she's a kind of like a sketch or, or um, um, oil artist at the present moment. And she does, you know, bizarre things, bizarre heads and faces, etc. And, um, and and it's all making a statement. And, you know, faces that are discontorted or, or one face, but it's two sides, you know. And every time I look at it, it's kind of, it's, it's speaking to me. It's having a conversation with me, a dialogue. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what art is. It creates a dialogue. It's not just like, oh, it's pretty and the artist has done this nicely, that nicely. It's, it's a dialogue of communication that is opening up to interpretation that you need to share with people. But, you know, some people don't see that. Mm. Some people just see the pretty flower or yeah. the landscape. Or that's their, how they see it. But uh, to me, art is uh, how, like... How did he do that? How did he make that or she make that picture look that way? And how did they get that brush stroke to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know, the lines, you know, that's the whole thing is that you can have something that's perfect and then something that's obscure. And it's, you know, where did the mind go for that? Um, right. You know, and it's, it's again, it becomes an invitation to, to read the story and, you know, the interpretation of what you see in it because that's what it's meant to mean. Right. Um, you can have dozens of people looking at one piece and everybody will see something different. Um, well, I have this new piece I'm working on. It's called The Ride. And it's either going to have a spiral staircase in the middle of it or a slide. 
And I'm going to have people looking at that piece for a long time. But it's talking about depression. Mm. And it's going to have portraits of everyone I can think of. And I have to research and get pictures. But uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Winston Churchill, Isaac Newton, some artists in England that I know now, uh, all suffer from depression. Yes. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to have their portraits around the slide, right? Because uh, as I was talking to a psychologist, it's not about being sad. It's more than that. Yes. And, and more people have to be aware that people you wouldn't even think who suffer from depression do suffer from depression. And you need to realize, give them, give them a break. Yeah, I'm a very strong person and I'm a spiritual counselor, so I'm always there for people. And, you know, and and people will turn to me because they know I've got that kind of strength. But what people don't know uh, or choose not to know, even when I tell them, is I do suffer from depression and anxiety. And it can be all-consuming sometimes. And, you know, my mum passed away over the weekend and... I've gone into rational mode completely. I've gone into as if I'm, I'm my own counsellor. She was 95. I put out a plea to Facebook to all my colleagues and people that I know to send her blessings in her crossing over because she was really in pain, been bedbound for a long time, was afraid to cross over, and she needed that help. Over 70 people came back, well, not just alike, but with comments. The angels are with her, my blessings are with her. She was gone within that day. And it was because she felt that love and that vibration that came out there. So my rationale right now is that she has gone, she's, in, she's home. She's back home with the cosmos. She's back home with the collective energy. She's fine. And now it's us left behind. And logic is, you know, um, I'm 60. She's, she's 95. She's had a good life. I, you know, I had her for 60 years. But I haven't yet gone into any emotion. And that's a lot of what people who are depressed on. People think that when people are depressed or suffer from depression, that they're always emotional. And that's not the case. It's that an emotion can hit you from the back end and whack you from one side to the other. And it's generally an irrational thing that happens, not a rational thing. And that's why they made such great leaders. Because when it came to you know, having to decide something, they went into that rationale and they could see things. It was in the down times when they weren't in that mode that that the depression came up. Right, right. So, So I'm glad you're doing that piece because, I mean, you know, look at Winston Churchill. I mean, he suffered from um, um, dyslexia. Um, You know, he had some major issues to do with his father. Um, You know, Lincoln, everybody, everybody's got a story. We look at yeah. them as leaders and we praise them as leaders, but look at them and the lives that they lived and how tormented it was for them to be yeah. that great leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I have another piece I'm working on called The Seven Deadly Sins. Now, how do you draw that? <laughs> that would be an interesting one. <laughs> for a start is what do you consider the seven deadly sins? Well, it, it, it's what is known as a seven deadly sins. Yeah. Like, right? I'm not going to do my, my interpretation of them. I'm just going to run with them. Uh, or the, the, I think it's the seven virtues. Like, how would you draw that? Yeah. How do you draw, how do you draw trust? Yeah, that is a huge one, and I wish somebody would. <laughs> we, we talk to trust and love. I mean, yeah. we can draw love because we can see that reflection of love in a picture. Um, but how do you draw 
uh, I think you can even draw respect, but how do you draw trust? Yeah. You know, uh, how do you draw um, faith? You know, and, and it's not a cross because a lot of no. people don't have faith in religion. It's, right. you know, faith in life, faith in themselves, faith in a, in a, in a higher being. It, you know, these, these aren't an easy task. So do you just meditate on it or you just, you know, as you're pruning trees and things, let it come to you? Um, so um, I go to a dictionary for a definition. And then, and then I, th- I think on it. And I'll think maybe a year or two. And, and then I'll dream on it, and then it, something comes, mm-hmm. and then I'll and then I'll sketch it down, put it aside, and go on to the next piece of the puzzle. And then when I've got them all together, then I put it together. So, so it, it, it's it's a, a long time. for you. I mean, you you're most certainly um, a very dedicated artist, but a very long term artist. There's no whipping out pictures for you. For each one is is. <laughs> Is obviously, you know, a, um, a chapter in your book, each picture. Well, every artist is looking to make their mark. Yes. And yes, I can do those flowers, you know, like, no problem. But everybody can do those flowers. And, and so it's not me. My, my partner wanted me to uh, draw... A, churches for people that got married I can do that but it just anybody can do that I wanted to do a piece that uh, will have the people who get married go whoa I want the whoa factor yeah not oh that's pretty well as as people write books in a sense your artwork takes just just as much time as it would be for someone to write a book yeah pretty much and probably the same amount of thought and dedication that going into it. And especially as you're a dot artist, because, you know, it's, I don't think people really understand how long it takes to do that. Yeah, it depends on, uh, I, I have a piece coming out in a little while, and uh, I tried to figure out how to draw the person. I tried to figure out how to draw the person. And, and then in what context would I place him in the picture? And uh, and that took quite a bit of time. And then one night I slept on it, and while I was sleeping, it, the idea came to me of how to do it. And uh, and in the piece, the dark sections of the piece are dots, just close together. You know, there's no shading in it when you're doing dots. It's just farther apart is light, and closer together is dark. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge. How long does it take you, though? Because the actual process of dotting is... is you know, is is a lot. I mean, how long does it actually take you to actually do a section? So, uh, one inch by one inch on the piece of artwork takes eight hours. Wow. That's quite so, some time. Um, I have a big piece on my wall at home that is uh, uh, 24 inches by 36. And... Uh, that's my Mona. That's ten years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is quite some time, and quite some dedication. Um, you obviously are an incredibly patient person. Yes, I tend to be patient. I come at it from a different view, though. I mean, everyone. If there's a problem. I come at why is why is that not working, or 
um, how can I fix it or how can I make it better? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, rather than uh, taking my fly at it, I'm just a, I'm a, I guess I'm a plotter. Mm-hmm. Do you sketch in between? I mean, do you only go to the art when when you're ready to do the picture, or are you a you know a doodler in between? Uh, my art usually goes with me. I have my art in my work truck, and uh, I usually take it out with me at night and I try and work on it. Uh, I've got a thousand alligators in my pit right now, so my art is taking second fiddle. But uh, um, I think once I release a piece in March, uh, it might change. Yes, would you tell us a little bit about this piece that's been released? I can't. You can't? Can't even give no. us a little something about it? A tease? Um, a preview? Uh, tease. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, it's some, somebody everybody knows. And um, uh, the piece actually looks kind of 3D-ish, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a little bit of a challenge to do that. I've got another piece of a, I've got a First Nation totem that's 3D that has arms sticking out of the front of it, and they look like they're reaching right out of the paper at you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of fun. Um, this one that's coming in March, no, I've got to keep it quiet. It's, I need to, uh, everyone, I'm hoping everyone will see it. Right. So this is going to be a press release on that one. Yeah. Okay. Right. And uh, that's happening in March around Easter? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so people will be able to find out about that where if they want to look out for it? Um, I'm hoping uh, to have it in the major papers of the world. Nice. And how long did this one take? Mm, This one took a year to figure it out. And then... As I say, parts of it came while I was sleeping. And then um, I've kept it quiet for some almost 10 years. And now it's time to let it out. Wow. That's quite some time to keep it quiet as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, as I said, you're a very patient person. Um, because, you know, obviously people like, you know, like to show their art. Uh, but at the same time, artists are very, very critical, aren't they? Yep. You know, to be critical of their own stuff. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, my Mona, I guess I could have let my Mona go earlier, but uh, I wasn't happy with it. Uh, And I have another piece hanging in my foyer at my home, and uh, I sold it before I was finished because the fellow who wanted to buy it wanted me to stop painting it. So I said, it's not finished. He says, I like it just the way it is. Don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... You know, it's all uh, it's all in the eye of the viewer. It is. Absolutely. Most certainly. So, how do, you know, how does working in an orchard or working with children or, you know, or, or working in the garden, you know, is, is that where you get your energy from or your insight from, you know, the vibrations that speak to you, to your art? Is there a connection there? You have to, I find for me, I have to um, remind myself of the light. Everyone has light inside them. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> some, I can just see some friends of mine listening to, I can just see the looks on their face when they hear, if they hear this, they were going to think, oh, he's really off it now. <laughs> no, 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 you're speaking my but, language. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I, I think that when you're, when you're attuned to your own energy within yourself, mm-hmm. uh, at peace within yourself, then things will come to you and you can express them. And uh, whether it's me in the garden and uh, I usually have a hummingbird. A hummingbird will come within two feet of me and sit on a branch and sing to me almost every day. I'm in a, it doesn't matter where I am, he pops up. Yeah. Uh, um, the other day I was in an orchard doing some work and the farmer said, be careful of the cows, the bulls in the field. Well, the bull walked on by, but he didn't do anything. Uh, you know, it's just how you perceive things, you know. Uh, and what you project. That, yeah, they say that uh, bees, if you're scared, they they can sense the fear in in your uh, pers- precipita- uh, perspiration. Mm. And, they're, and then they will sing it because you, you have alarmed them that you are to be, uh, you're the enemy. Right. So if you go into a situation not giving off that energy, then you're at peace with yourself, and lots of things can be accomplished. You know, it's the same kind of with bears. Um, uh, I'm Where I'm living, you know, we get bears and down the back back lane here because we're very close to the river. Um, but I was walking with my dog in the woods one time, and she was fairly young. She was only about a year, a year and a half. Um, and we came across a bear and it was mm, 10 to 15 feet away and I called her back put her on a leash told her to sit and just to be calm and the bear just sat there looking at us and we had a conversation and I was telling the bear how beautiful it was you know thank you for letting her walk through my forest you know the sunlight was glittering off her coat it was absolutely exquisite and we had this little conversation and she was staring right at me and then she just went on and I praised my dog for not chasing her and, yeah. uh, and you know, and we came across another bear another time. And when she was face to face with the bear, she was completely calm. Once the bear had gone, she started doing her thing. But it's, you know, the whole thing is, is that it's the same in life. If you're going to project fear, uh, there are creatures that work on a vibration that are going to pick up that fear and think, what is yeah. there to be afraid of? Are you the enemy? And, right. you know, I see it when I'm walking with my dog, how people would do a sidetrack. She's 13 years of age. She can't attack anything. Uh, and if you're going to be afraid of her, she's going to wonder what's what's to be afraid of. And, you know, people have just got to kind of get their fear in check. Yeah. Really important to do so. So let's talk about the Birdhouse Construction Program. So at the Forest Discovery Center, they have... Um they have a little sawmill there and they cut all most of their own wood that they need to do the renovations and the upkeep of the buildings and that sort of thing and then there's scrap lumber left over so they have a they had a burn pile out in the field and I went through the burn pile pulled off the scrap lumber and I uh, have it sitting waiting for me to go and um, cut it into I'm just going to make little kits of it and then get either the school kids or the scouts and, and guides uh, to come in and as a badge, because you can make a birdhouse for a badge, uh, they could put the birdhouses together and then uh, get a badge, and then the birdhouse would stay at the center, and then we'd have the birds, a home for the birds to help 
uh, keep pest control and that sort of thing. Excellent. So that's the that's the idea, and uh, so the wood's all there. The problem I have is I just don't have the time in it right now. So if there's a volunteer out there that can help you, then you would gladly um, accept that help. Yeah, I haven't gone there uh, as yet. I just, uh, I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm a control freak or not, but I just like <laughs> to have hands-on, personal hands-on. <laughs> Allow somebody else the experience <laughs> to have a hands on too. <laughs> Share the art. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole thing about, I'm, you know, my kids did that when they were young. And, and, and I think the appreciation of that, especially if they keep coming back to the orchard and they see their house. And then, then, yeah. then there's a story around what bird lived in that house and then what that bird yeah. does for the forest. And I think it's those connections, again, those stories, but showing how that one little house who it's housed, the importance of that bird and what it does. Because yeah. I think we're all here for a purpose. We've all got a job to do. And yeah. and understanding that whole domino effect actually really helps everybody. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So a great the, idea uh, you need help on. Pardon me? <laughs> You're hoping for 100 houses this year, so you need help on yeah, that. <laughs> no, no, I know. Yeah. I just need to go in with a skill saw and just cut them. I just, uh, I've got... Uh, I've got about three orchards in front of me. I've got a do, and then I've got uh, some uh, some big hedges. I'm working on one place that has 29 hedges on it that I've got to finish. And uh, so it's um, if I get those done, I've got a couple of other things, projects to do, and then I'm working on houses. So this morning was the first day I saw a house wren in my backyard uh, setting up a house in one of my birdhouses. So I realized it's yeah, I've got to get going. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They need a home. Um, yeah. I did a wonderful interview with somebody who was in transition in life, and um, it just a tree off her balcony was a hummingbird, and she literally watched this hummingbird build a nest uh, for its babies, and then it lived there with its babies until they all flew away, which changed her direction in life because she became a pollinator educator of the bees yes. and, and the hummingbirds and the bats and all the pollination that's important, as well as pollinating within ourselves. But she said the architecture um, and the design of this nest and what it made it out of was just absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, there's a group of us here in the Valley. We are associated with a group out of the States called Xerxes. That's the bee pollination group. They spend, I think, 193 million dollars in promoting bee pollination in the states and we're promoting it uh here in the valley and uh trying to educate people about bumblebees and uh, not just the honeybees but the wild bumblebees as well and at the forest discovery center we have over 60 different species of bees uh which uh there isn't the uh food out there you know it's uh, been altered somewhat. So yes. we're talking about planting flowering, uh, planting gardens just for the bees. Um, and the Forest Discovery Center is also looking at, there was a proposal this spring, or this winter, it's not really a winter, um, about putting a native, a cooperative native nursery at the center uh, uh, so that people be encouraged to grow native plants. Oh, lovely. Well, those things those things would be ideal for the bumblebees and the wild bees and the honeybees as food. Right, exactly. 
So, you know, I mean, yeah, um, just to let you know, which I don't know if you noticed and to let anybody who is a naturist to, to listen to this, um, there is a law coming out called um, ecocide and it's the, it's the fifth crime against uh, humanity. Uh, just like genocide was, there is an ecocide. Ten countries have already signed up to it. They are one particular person signing away to make this a global initiative that will make things like fracking, uh, Agent Orange and certain pesticides and all of that illegal as it damages the planet and damages the ecosystem. And that law is so close and it will be an absolute blessing because we are the one that are killing the bees and with all these pesticides and everything else that's out there and it has to stop. Uh, there are so many other ways that we can do things and we've got to stop being so destructive and it's going to be a law like this that's going to do it so um, our future generations will be much better off because of it. I agree. Uh, I saw on Interpol uh, did a press release and they are now looking for people who are violating earth like poachers and things like yeah. that. Which I thought, whoa, good on you. Yes. I, you know, that's, that's what we need. Exactly, and there's so many people out there that now, you know, have had enough and then saying this is this is getting ridiculous and, um, you know, the awareness of what we're doing to this planet, the nonchalance, the greed, um, the me, 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 um, you know, it's it's got to change. We are a we and we are dependent on each other, both in nature as well as in humanity and we've really got to learn to appreciate and understand the repercussions um, and also the the chain events that happen, um, you know, as you said, planting those flowers or planting those, you know, the natural things that feed the bees. And, and then, of course, you end up with honey and you end up with, you know, numerous other things. It's, there is a system in place, isn't there? And we need to honor that system. Yeah, it's a, as you say, it's a domino effect. If you take out the spiders, say, worldwide, the flies that we would have would be phenomenal. Yeah. Or if you take out the flies, uh, the number of things that die in the woods wouldn't be consumed. And then you'd have all sorts of ugly stuff out there. I mean, it, every piece is important. <coughs> I could um, do without the mosquitoes, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to work out what their purpose is, other than to gnaw the hell out of you. <laughs> I know some things I think are just here to bug us. <laughs> well, I mean, you really do wear a lot of hats, don't you? You're an artist, philosopher, foster parent, leaf whisperer, dad, husband, orchardist, and educator. Um, in, and, you know, if, if anybody said, okay, you know, here's all the money in the world and you can just do one thing, it would probably be your art. But I don't think your art would be the same without your forestry. Well, actually, I, I, last week, a fellow from Scotland phoned me, and I was in the orchard, and he says, what's your dream? And I said, well, you know, my dream would be to be able to do the orchard. That would be teaching the kids. Yeah. Teaching the kids how to feed themselves and mm-hmm. respect nature. Ideally, that's it. Who, who would want anything other than that? Yes. And your art is a reflection of, of what you believe. So it's your yeah. statement, but your action is the orchard. Now, you yeah. know, we, we're we going to find out in a moment where the orchard is and everything else. But then, you know, for people who can't get there and that are in different parts of the world, they 
can create their own orchard, can't they? They can plant things in their gardens, or even if they're in an apartment and they've got a, you know, front deck, plant something and nurture it, and that. Do it with your children and water and nurture and speak to it and let it grow. There's so many things as parents that we can do with our children to have them appreciate, um, to to appreciate things that grow. So last week I got an email from a lady who read what I was doing at the center, and she was so inspired. She lives in Tans- Tasmania that she ordered. Uh, a, a whack of trees, and she's starting a wild garden of fruit trees in Tanzania. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. And, uh, um, the latest trend in gardening is not the horizontal gardening, it's vertical gardening. So if you say that you don't have, you live in an apartment and you don't yeah. have soil to plant yeah. anything, if you get old rain gutters for from a roof, and you make them in the in the shape of a zigzag, and you hang them on the wall, and you plant put a bit of dirt in each one of the zigs and the zags. You can plant mustard. You could plant lettuce. You could plant radishes, and you could give yourself some food. Yes, exactly. So or, there's really no excuse, is there? I mean, we can we can all do something, even if you don't have a balcony. You, there's things that grow on the inside. You can grow on the inside of the window of your kitchen because it becomes a little hothouse. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, you can grow anything anywhere, you know, like um, if um, people, uh, a couple I know want to grow figs and they want to plant them out in their in the ground. And I said, don't do that. And they said, why not? I said, because figs, they like to have the roots restricted. So put them on your back patio in a in a half gallon or a half barrel oak barrel, and restrict the roots. You always have pigs. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. Have to, we have to know, right? No, you have to know, right? This is where you know uh, people like you come in. Is that you know these things, and so you know if you wanted to do something, take the time to ask. Um, and to truly understand what you're doing. Because if you do it wrong and you fail, then you're discouraged. So just take the time to ask somebody who truly knows what they're doing and say, okay, what do you suggest? This is my environment. This is the amount of time I have to look after something. I have cats. I have dogs. I have kids. You know, and let somebody suggest something to you that will enable you to do that, grow something, um, that isn't going to be your obstacle in the way because the cat made a, you know, yeah. something out of it. <laughs> or, the, or the baby's got hold of it and ate it, you know, all of that. So, And I think actually if you can plant a tree, and uh, especially if you, you know, you've bought a family home and you know you're going to be there for a while, I think it's a beautiful gift maybe even to plant a tree for each child and then watch that tree grow over the years. And then as they grow and they see that tree grow, it becomes something that's so very meaningful. And, you know, it's there's so much we, we learn to appreciate from nature, isn't there? Yep. Yeah, nature has a lot to teach you if you want to listen. Yes, and that's the key thing, listening. Uh, we, we talk a great deal on my shows with people who are meditators, um, you know, uh, even yoga or anything to do with kind of tapping into yourself, de-stressing, calming down and tuning in. And the number one thing we always say to everybody is take a breath and then walk amongst nature. Even if you're at the park and you're just sitting on a bench watching the kids play, it's get outside Get amongst nature, get amongst that vibration, 
take some deep breaths and just tune in because nature always seems to have the answers for you if you just simply tune into that channel. I think it's I think it's more of tuning into yourself. Yeah. But right? it's tuning it's tuning into the channel where you can hear nature speak to you. Yeah, that's it. You know, and then you can receive that information. As you said, when you when you're figuring out a painting and you know, you you're busy working and through that nature comes and gives you the vision of what you need to do and it's because you've opened that channel and you're allowing you're allowing the input to come in. Yeah, but, um, you know, a lot of people don't uh, recognize that. No, no, they don't, unfortunately, which is sad. But that's what we're here for today is with our show is to try and educate people to the point that this is this is what is available. So can you please give them how they can get to this orchard, um, how they could participate in it and um, anything else that you've got that people can reach you at? Okay, so the program is called Adopt a Tree Program. It's at the Trees Forest Discovery Center in Duncan, British Columbia. And they can go to one word, bcforestdiscoverycenter.com. And uh, from there, it should be directed to the Adopt a Tree Program. So there is um, the Educational Adopt a Tree Program, and there's the Corporate Adopt a Tree Program. So if you... Um, I Unfortunately, this last fall or last year, uh, a couple of people were, uh, their lives were taken in a, a rage of emotion. And um, someone was talking about, uh, a friend was talking about adopting a tree in memory of those people. Uh, so if you have a family member who has died and you want to remember them, you can go to the center and make a donation uh, to adopt a tree, and uh, you, they will uh, send you a Christmas card of what the tree looks like at Christmas time, and uh, a picture when it's in bloom, and the money helps to keep the center alive and keep the orchard uh, maintained. Beautiful. And Duncan, BC, by the way, folks, is the Vancouver Island, and it's actually really worth the trip. Uh, BC is a very, very beautiful place, and the island is absolutely gorgeous, and so Duncan is a really... Uh, it's actually quite a um, a forestry town, isn't it? A lot of forestry goes around there. Well, it's it has has been. If forestry isn't so much anymore. Um, there's a, it's more of a I don't know what to say. There's a pulp mill in one part of the town, or in in an area next to it, in a little town called Crofton. Uh, but uh, no, it's um, it's multi multi businesses. Mm-hmm. It's really grown. Yeah, it's very grown. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very beautiful place to go to. But if you can't come to BC, you know, uh, you can adopt a tree. I mean, that's the yep. beauty of it. It's, uh, you know, um, I remember for one of my friend's birthdays, um, he got given a certificate where um, 100 bucks in his name had been donated to uh, for a wheelchair for somebody who needed it. And he considered that such a beautiful gift. 
And so for you to give a gift to someone who's really got everything, what else are you going to get them? You know, right. to, to give them an adopt a tree thing so they know that there's a tree in their name that's growing there, that's going to bear fruit, that's going to educate, that's going to pollinate. And it's such a wonderful gift to give. Um, a gift in the memory of someone who's passed and someone who's been born, a wedding gift, um, you know, a birthday gift. I mean, it's just truly a wonderful gift to give. And is there a particular amount that people have to give? So the corporate uh, adopted tree is $1,000. Um, so uh, the idea is that uh, to get a little plaque that goes to the tree and uh, it helps do the upkeep of the grounds around and keeps the trains. They have uh, steam trains that run through the property where if you came to the center, you could get bored on a steam train and they do like a figure eight through the woods and... Uh, Theoretically, uh, it's uh, not theoretically, but it's, a, it's an absolute wonderful place to be. The people there are absolutely gorgeous, and they bend over backwards to help you out. And uh, uh, my gardening business is called the Gardening Guru. <laughs> and so if you were to say that the guru sent you, they would know who sent you and uh, open their arms and help you out any way they can. Excellent. And, you know, again, this is, I think, a wonderful gift. Is it $1,000 per tree then? Yes. Okay, so again, if you've got family members or, you know, in the office you're giving a present to someone who's just about to have a baby, everybody in the office could chip in. And, yep. you know, and there you've got something that, you know, and these trees are allowed to grow, right? They're really allowed to grow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, um, we have one tree there called Snow. It's, a, it's ready before the trans, yellow transparent, and its parentage goes back to the 1700s. Oh, wonderful. So this isn't, you know, planting a tree to be chopped down. This is a planting tree to really grow, bear its fruits, and really stand the test of time. Oh, yes. Yep. yep. So, and, you know, the way we work it is uh, the, the fruit is picked. The food, local food banks get a third. The center gets a third for donations, and the pickers get a third. So nothing goes to waste. Right, excellent. And that's wonderful that the food banks benefit from it as well. So, I mean, you know, this entire place is, is most certainly have really thought it out well, um, you know, the balance. And, you know, learning that we you have to give away in order to receive and that when you receive, it helps you give away. Um, and that's, it's, you know, a, a beautiful thing they're doing there. So it's the BC Forestry Discovery Center. Um, take your children and um, ask for John, the guru, um, the guru um, gardener, so that, you know, get his programs going again so that he can educate the kids, which I think is wonderful. But I think this Adopt a Tree and most certainly is is a wonderful thing um, and makes an absolutely wonderful, long-lasting gift. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You know, somewhere along the line, you could say, I bought this when my children were born. And then 10 years in or 15 years in, okay, we're going to go and see your tree. And what, yeah. you know, what a meaning that would be to go in and see this tree grown. Um, and, you know, if you can adopt the tree or if not, plant one in your own garden or do some planting. Just learn to appreciate nature. Because nature, we can't live without it. And we really need to start appreciating it. How do people get hold of you, John? Uh, they can get a hold of me at uh, one word, thegardeningguru2000 at gmail.com. I don't have a website uh, as such. I'm just me. And the concern is I don't have, I'm not 
uh, multi-armed like an octopus. I can only <laughs> do so much things, and I'm already kind of really busy. So, um, but if they want to talk or they have a question or uh, uh, anything like that, they can give me an email, and right. I, I'd love to respond. Are you also on LinkedIn as well? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn as well, under my name, John Hood. Uh, Excellent. There's a picture picture there of me and it tells everything I do what I'm doing with the center and my heart right and of course everything here is on the postings so people can see that as well and uh, you know I mean I originally was drawn to you because you actually I think talked about depression in, in a topic and so and then I discovered what you did and I wanted to interview you because um, I don't think people celebrate people like you enough. And I'm celebrating your artistry, your dedication to your art, but also your commitment and your conviction towards, you know, the orchard and in the education and in the, you know, keeping it going so that it's there for future generations. And it's a, a very beautiful program that's there and, and that you're a part of. And so thank you very much for doing it. Well, thank you for uh, letting me talk about it. Oh, most certainly. So um, the BC Forest Discovery Centre, folks, um, uh, adopt a tree. What a wonderful gift to give someone. Um, if you are in the area, you know, your kids can go over there with the schools or maybe with the scouts or clubs, uh, cubs um, and uh, the birdhouses. And, but also uh, stay tuned to LinkedIn, John Hood, uh, around the Easter and see what his announcement is going to be over his new art. It's very undercover at the present moment. I've had a sneak peek and you're going to want to see it. Uh, years in the making, this is true artistry. So please, folks, look out for that. And uh, I will post the link to it on this posting and repost the show um, at that time when it does come out as well. So thank you so much, John, for being the Leaf Whisperer and for sharing your journey with us today. Thank you. And to everybody else, remember... We are at one, nature and us together, and we need to live in harmony. Until next time.